the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey, and joining me today is our editor-in-chief, Jeremy Parrish. Hello. And today, we got quite a bit of RPG news that we're going to be covering. We're going to talk about Dragon Quest XI, which was just recently announced earlier this week. And we're also going to be talking about Final Fantasy Explorers, which was announced today as we are recording, which would be yesterday by the time that you see this. So let's get started right away. Jeremy, Dragon Quest XI is finally coming. It's going to be on the PlayStation 4 and Nintendo 3DS and possibly even the NX. You've written quite extensively on this topic. Um, can you kind of give us a Cliff's Notes and or your thoughts? Um, well, a lot of what I've written so far has been more speculative, like Dragon Quest XI is probably coming. What does that mean? Uh, so, you know, that sort of pre-release, pre-announcement uh, speculation doesn't necessarily trans well, translate well into post-announcement discussion. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Dragon Quest XI is a big deal uh, in, in Japan, especially well, actually, Japan only, since Square Enix has pretty much given up on it in the West. But I feel like Square is really hedging its bets with uh, with the release of this game. And I, I feel like it's not really possible for the series to remain a juggernaut by staying only in Japan. And I feel that's why we're seeing a PlayStation 4 version, because... You know, the 3DS is huge over there, not as big as DS was, but still it's the most successful console by a long shot. The problem is that its success is relative. Nothing else in Japan is selling right now. I mean, mobile games, but uh, I get the impression that they don't want to go the mobile route. They have their mobile Dragon Quests, and those are not core games. So, yeah, there's like 1 to 1.5 million PlayStation 4s that have been sold in Japan. That's out of 25 million PlayStations sold across the world to date. That's pitiful. Like, no one in Japan is buying PS4s. And it's certainly not enough of an install base for uh, for Armor Project, the, the main developer behind Dragon Quest games, to commit to. They always go with the winning horse. That is the horse that has already won, won the race. And PS4 is not won in Japan by by any means and probably won't win. So I, I really feel like the 3DS version is made for Japanese audiences because one, everyone in Japan owns a 3DS. Two, the 3DS version has more of a backward art style, backward facing. Uh, the the 3D graphics element of it look a lot like the you know the Dragon Quest seven and eight remakes, which look like buffed up versions of Dragon Quest nine. And then the, the 3DS version is unique because the bottom screen has a 2D 16-bit style viewpoint of the same things that are happening on the top screen. And that's even more backward-facing. And the Japanese Dragon Quest fan base is very, very conservative. They want their Dragon Quest games the way they were 20, 30 years ago. And they really get upset when, when Yuji Horii and Armor Project and whoever co-develops the games for them changes that. We saw that with Dragon Quest IX when they showed off the uh, the early prototype of the game, which was an action-oriented RPG combat system, and Japan went, no! <laughs> and they backpedaled and made it a turn-based system. And they did a good job of making a multiplayer, cooperative, turn-based RPG combat system. It was a pretty good uh, achievement. So, you know, it worked out. But it's been pretty clear for the past decade that Square, well, you know, Armor Project, Yuji Horii, would like to move away somewhat from Dragon Quest tradition and and modernize the games to a degree. But Japan is just like, no, we kind of like our games the way they were in the 80s. So... I can't think of a series that's more nostalgia-facing than Dragon Quest. I mean, is there any equivalent to that in the West? Where people, like, if you make one minute change to that game, that people will just completely lose it? Well, it's not nostalgia-based, but Call of Duty, if you mm -hmm. tweak the guns or the ammo or the perks, yeah, people get really upset and developers get death threats. So it's kind of the same thing. I mean, Dragon Quest is the Call of Duty of Japan. How's that for you? 
Well, uh, that's an interesting comparison. It's true, though. Um, except, you know, Dragon Quest isn't annualized, but they've announced so many games at this point, it might as well be. Like, you know, the core games come every three to four years, but there's like a dozen, a dozen uh, different Dragon Quest games that have been released or will be released within the past four to five years. That's a lot. That's like Mega Man at the Mega Man oversaturation point levels of releases. So they're kind of, they're kind of treading risky ground there. My recollection from living in Japan was that Dragon Quest is seen as kind of a national treasure in a way that I can't think of any game here really being seen the same way. My recollection from talking to students was, okay, so you've played Dragon Quest. I'm saying this to like a middle-aged salary man. I was like, you've played Dragon Quest. Like, what is it, what is it about Dragon Quest that you guys love, uh, so much over here? Cause at that time I was like, well, it, it never really got that much traction over in the U.S. And they're like, well, I played it when I was eight years old and I loved it. And I want to recapture that. And. When you take that element away from Japan, people seem to get really pissed in a way that people seem to get pissed over. I mean, if you change Star Wars appreciably, you're ruining childhoods. Like it's it's that kind of thing. Would you call Would you call Quest. Sandy the Fairy the Jar Jar Binks of Dragon Quest? No, she got a lot of hate over in Japan. Um, I remember they were giving one star reviews like candy to that game on Amazon. But so yes, she is. she was. I liked her. She was all right. Yeah. Maybe she was localized well. I think there's that. And I think, you know, Jar Jar was mostly upsetting to people who loved the original Star Wars trilogy. Kids thought he was great. So it's kind of the same thing. Like Japanese players who grew up with Dragon Quest were like, what is this Gongoro weirdo doing in my video game? But, you know, in America, we were like, eh, it's a funny little fairy in this funny little game. So maybe she just didn't stand out that much. But but anyway, yeah, so so the point was that Dragon Quest XI on 3DS is for Japan, and Dragon Quest XI on PS4 is for the rest of the world, because we actually own PS4s, and also the PS4 version looks really nice. It's, uh, it's very lush, very high-resolution high and colorful, and also what? kind of open-worldish. Do you think that Dragon Quest Eleven on PS4 will spur sales at all, or will it that mostly be seen as a hardcore thing while everybody goes 3DS? It's really hard to say. Like, if they were just doing PS4, then yeah, I think PS4 sales would take a big spike when Dragon Quest Eleven comes out in Japan. But because they do have the 3DS version, um, I think most people will probably go with the 3DS version because they own the system and it's the style of Dragon Quest they love. And it's going to be a smaller group of people that probably already own PS4s who get the PS4 version. I, I, I do think sales will jump uh, when, when the PS4 version comes out in Japan, sales of the console, but it's not going to be the game changer that it could have been if they had released the game just as a standalone PS4 game. But that's not how Armor Project operates. They don't take risks like that. They don't say... Basically, they don't feel like it's their job to make consoles more successful. They feel like it's the console's job to make their games more successful. I mean, I don't know that that's actually their philosophy, but that's certainly how they operate. How do you feel about the departure of Level 5 from the project? Because... I mean, they've been controversial at times, especially with Dragon Quest Nine. but I always thought that they did a much better job with Dragon Quests than their own games. Well, that's the thing about Level 5. Level 5, for the most part, is best when they're collaborating with a, uh, a publisher with a very strong will, a strong sense of direction. When Level 5 makes their own games, their own games can be okay, pretty decent, but mm -hmm. their best games are things like uh, Professor Layton, which is b developed in collaboration with the Nintendo, uh, Dragon Quest Eight and Nine, which were developed with the guidance of Armor Project and Square Enix, um, they they do make you know some good games on their own. I really liked Fantasy Life, um, but that's kind of a kind of the exception. Most of their you know internally developed games have not really appealed to me. On the other hand, Yokai Watch is is the new Dragon Quest over in Japan. It's huge. 
So that's not really my thing. That's like the Duplo version of Pokemon. Uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah, yeah, Pokemon is Lego, and Yokai Watch is, is Duplo. But, you know, the kids over there love it. It's it's like, you know, Minecraft and Angry Birds combined uh, in terms of its traction with Japanese kids. So so I'm okay with Level 5's departure. Like, they've done good work, but um, I haven't played any mainline Dragon Quest games that I don't like. I don't know enough about the teams that they've brought on for this one. Toy Factory and... God, I can't remember the names of the developers. But the, the the two games are being developed by different studios, the two versions. So, you know, I really feel like how much input creatively do the co-developers have? Like, how much of Dragon Quest IX's direction was determined by level 5, and how much was them taking marching orders from Armor Project? Uh, my guess is that given the consistency between Dragon Quest games, uh, they're they're kind of like those those collaborative studios are more like work for hire. I don't think that they're really allowed to make the high level design choices. That's my guess. My understanding is that Yuji Hori uh, exercises a great deal of creative control over the series. Yeah, I feel like he's kind of um, the Hideo Kojima uh, Hideo Kojima of uh, of Dragon Quest. Like he has that same sort of I want to be involved at every level of this of the process and. Um, like he's the one who comes up with monster designs and then passes them on to Akira Toriyama who then interprets them and makes them look cool. Um, so yeah, he's just very, he's very involved as a creator. So again, I don't know how much of what made Dragon Quest eight and nine great were, were the result of level fives opinions and contributions uh, and how much of what the studio did was just make the games work, make them technically as sophisticated as possible. So I don't know that level five's departure will have that much impact. Are you familiar with Orca at all? I'm not. Yeah, it seems like, like I was just trying to look up some information on them and I can't really seem to find a lot of, well, much of anything on the internet. So maybe they're a newly formed studio. Could be. Um, I think there was some talk given to uh, what they had done. Uh, crap, I, I can't remember. I read about the studios when they were first announced, but I don't remember what I read because it's all a blur. I mean, I, maybe this is a little unfair because it was 15 years ago. But the last time Level 5 wasn't involved with a mainline Dragon Quest release was Dragon Quest Seven, which... Uh, it has its fans, but uh, a lot of people, it came in for quite a bit of criticism from some people. Yeah, the pacing on that one was weird, and it definitely felt dated, but that, that game had a lot of uh, trouble with its development. And the studio that co-developed it, Heartbeat, basically dissolved once it came out in the U.S. They were supposed to localize the PlayStation version of Dragon Quest Four for America, and that never ended up coming out here, despite being advertised, because... Heartbeat disintegrated, and some of its people became genius sonority. Um, mm, but, uh, yeah, because they had all the knowledge and files and everything for localizing Dragon Quest Four, that just never happened. Genius sonority, for those who aren't familiar with it, are, was a uh, another work for Hire Studio that's best known for making some bad-to-average uh, Pokemon spinoffs for console. Well, they also make the Denpamen, which are very, oh, yes, very Dragon Quest-ish. Hmm, indeed. So, getting to the actual gameplay for a moment, um, people are kind of hailing Dragon Quest Eleven as, quote, the true sequel to Dragon Quest Eight. Um, it seems like more of a, a back to basics sort of thing going on. Uh, what do you think? Are are some people hailing it as that, or are you hailing it as that? I, I saw that. I've in your seen writing. it. Um, I put that in in part because I've been trolling around, you know, the internet and looking at what the conversations are, and I've seen that more than once. Mm, okay. Um, I guess, like, I, I can see, you know, a back to basics from Dragon Quest X, which went MMO, but I, I feel like Dragon Quest Nine was, was, um, 
it was very much in the Dragon Quest tradition. It was closer in character to Dragon Quest three probably than any other game with its job system and everything. Um, I, I guess people were upset because you had a generic protagonist that you could design yourself, but I, I liked that about it. it Me was, too. I'm not really a big fan of the main character designs for Dragon Quest, and Dragon Quest Elevens is no different. I'm just kind of like, eh, it's a dude yeah. with with silver or gold, blonde blonde hair. Looks like you should be skateboarding in 1993. Not, not that My impressive. favorite... My favorite Dragon Quest main character design is probably uh, the one from 8. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I like I like the female version of Dragon Quest IV's protagonist. Mm. And I like um, Dragon Quest V's protagonist is good, too. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. 3. I, I feel like the, the best designs were kind of in the 90s. Oh, well. Backward <laughs> facing. That's me. Um, no, 8's was okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of actual gameplay, I suppose... Um, I will say that I will miss the online co-op elements from Dragon Quest Nine because... Is it confirmed that those are not in? He said that it was going to be offline. Okay. So, that to me suggests that it's not going to have co-op. Well, Dragon Quest Nine didn't have online co-op. It was local only. Sure, sure. Um, I'm curious to know what they're going to do in terms of local, uh, you know, in terms of connectivity, because that was uh, Dragon Quest IX's big thing was its ability to do the street pass before there was such a thing as street pass. Like, that was kind of its shtick. The the trading maps and everything, visiting other people's inns. Um, yeah, that, that was a big part of its long longevity and, and lasting appeal in Japan, especially. But even here mm-hmm. at conventions, once it came out here, like there were about there was about two years where when you went to PAX, all you got were people street passing Dragon Quest, and uh, it was a really big part of the game's identity. I don't know that people necessarily played cooperatively together, and in fact, if you if you ever street passed with Japanese players who had hundreds of hours sunk into the game you would find that they played together like co-op maybe 90 minutes or something like it wasn't really that big a deal but they they definitely have to do something with the street passing because the the 3DS has street pass in part because Dragon Quest 9s was so successful so that'll be tricky because you know PS4 doesn't really have that but the games are supposed to be sort of the same that's what i was going to say is that if the 3DS version ends up having that it's going to be quite a bit different from the PS4 version. Uh, speaking personally, I did actually play the co-op quite a bit in Dragon Quest IX. Um, I would get together with friends, and we would go and do the maps, you know, and get treasure and that sort of thing. And they would run me through, like, the Metal Slime mm-hmm. uh, dungeon which and to get me tons and tons of experience, which was really great. Um, and I had a couple friends who ended up buying Dragon Quest IX and playing through it together, which it wasn't, strictly speaking, designed to be a co-op RPG in that fashion, but, I mean, it was possible, and that's what they did. And they later told me that if that had that feature hadn't been in there, then they probably wouldn't have picked it up. And it seems like if the 3DS version does actually come out here, then having that kind of co-op element would add a lot to it and serve to kind of differentiate it from the PS4 version in the West outside of the fact that it's portable and has different art. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of multiplayer co-op social elements, but I know that they're going to do something because they're they're well aware that the the street passing with the search guy Suchin uh was was a huge part of the game's success and they they can't possibly turn their back on that. But the challenge, I guess, for them is to come up with some sort of element that makes sense and can work, or at least offer parity between the two versions of the games. Uh, or else maybe they come up with some different mechanic for each platform, and that that's another differentiating, differentiating factor and you know an encouragement to, hey, go buy both versions, because it's a different experience despite being the same game. Now... Maybe P- 
people who listen to Acts of the Blood God have a higher familiarity with Dragon Quest than most people, but maybe not all. So can you kind of like share like what does the series mean to you and like what do you think its kind of core strengths are? Um, so I, I'll answer the second question first. I think the, the core strength of Dragon Quest is its accessibility. Um, I mean, going back all the way to the original Dragon Quest on Famicom almost 30 years ago, the, the big thing about the game was that it was an RPG that anyone could eventually beat. Um, you know, it, it's very fair about, uh, being difficult. There, there is... There is a lot of randomness to the game, random encounters, uh, critical hits, things like that, and you know a bad a bad streak of luck can really ruin your day. But when you die, you're sent back to the last place you saved, and you lose half your money, but you keep all your experience. So, you know there is a a, a penalty for dying, but you can put your money in the bank, and it's safe. So anything you put in the bank, you don't have to worry about losing. And then you go out on an adventure with no money in the bank, and there's basically nothing to lose. Like, any money that you earn while you're out foraging into difficult territory, you're going to keep half of it when you die. And any experience you gain from from destroying enemies, any level-ups you gain, new powers, you'll keep those too. So you can just kind of keep throwing yourself at these challenges until eventually you're strong enough to overcome them. Um and that's not like a a trial and error style of gameplay. It's more like persistence pays. Um, so there's that, you know, the fact that you can beat the game if you're a kid or, you know, a 60-year-old who never plays video games, like, it can still be accessible. Um, also, you know, another strength is the artwork. Uh, Akira Toriyama does all the character designs and all the monster designs, and he's really made some of the most iconic and memorable video game creatures uh ever like if you if you've paid attention to dragon quest builders the minecraft minecraft clone like seeing a classic dragon quest dragon a green dragon wandering around in minecraft form is pretty fantastic you're like you instantly recognize it but you know it's still been processed in voxels um so that that's a huge strength of it and then finally this is something that's come more into play in recent years, um, really more starting with, I guess, Dragon Quest IV, VI, is the idea of sort of self-contained scenarios. Dragon Quest IV um, consisted of four prologues before the main story, where you got to know each of the NP or each of the the party members that eventually would join the hero or heroine, and so you you followed their stories through, and it was like little mini RPGs, and then they all came together into a full party. And that was the true story. With Dragon Quest VI, you started to see the game broken into like kind of little self-contained vignettes, little stories about towns and people and their different uh, aspirations and tragedies. And there's there's very often this sense of melancholy to the stories in Dragon Quest. It's like they, they the stories can be very sad, despite the sort of quirky, upbeat style and, and visuals of the games. Um, so, you know, underneath the, the sort of light, glossy pop art appearance, there is a bit of solemnity to Dragon Quest that I think lends it some, some substance that it might otherwise not have, that you might be surprised exists. So it's kind of hitting on all these fronts, like accessible gameplay, appealing artwork, and really engrossing little mini-stories. Um, so it's kind of like a perfect little representation of what a great RPG should be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's extended out to the, the spinoffs. I actually personally had played Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest, when it came to NES, and then sort of didn't really pay attention to the series after that until, um, what, 2005, 2006, when Rocket Slime came to DS. And, you know, that's not a, a core Dragon Quest game. It's a spinoff, kind of an action RPG-ish sort of game, more action than RPG, um, but I was just drawn in because the game had so much personality. It had all these different kinds of slimes and, uh, like they, you know, the slimes are the most common enemy in the game. The first thing you meet in the first dragon quest, 
But over the years, they've designed more and more unusual spinoffs of slimes, like flying slimes with tentacles that can heal you or heal each other, um, ocean slimes with seashells, snail shells, and so on and so forth, metal slimes, poisonous bubble slimes. Um, so, you know, all of these were sort of brought together in this, this little cartoon spinoff where you play as the, the lowly slime. And it was just really a fun interesting game because it gave me this taste of the world that had developed around Dragon Quest in the years since I played the original. Everything from, you know, like when you save the game, you go to a little slime church and there's a slime nun and a slime organist and it plays the little do 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 like theme, the, the little save theme in the church and everyone did a little happy slime dance in sync with each other. And I was just like, there's so much to this game that has, like this is an expression of 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 heritage here like it really just made me curious to experience the world of dragon quest so um you know when dragon quest 9 came out i i decided to give it a shot and i really just loved it so i'm not i'm not someone who has a long allegiance with the series and there's actually a lot of games that i've never played all the way through most of the most of the numbered games i haven't played all the way through but you know i love the series and really have come around to recognizing all that it represents and all that it offers. And it, it's just very, it's in a very unique place in video games. And I really think everyone benefits from having access to it. I think there's a lot to recommend the games and a lot of, you know, I, I think pretty much anyone can play them and enjoy them if they don't mind that. Yeah, it is kind of old fashioned, but it's old fashioned in a good way. It's not primitive. It's not backward. It's just, like it works a certain way because it works and you don't need to change that. And every time it comes out, it adds new elements. So, uh, yeah. So I, I've really come to like dragon quest. I've, well, I, I think most people know that dragon quest five was my first dragon quest. And I, was that the, the DS remake, the DS remake. Yeah. Yeah. And, actually, I guess I should say that I played four and five before nine came out and mm-hmm. uh, with the DS remakes, uh, and like you, I was just like, oh. so go ahead. Yeah, Dragon Quest V really caught me off guard because I went in expecting kind of a, I don't know, maybe a, an old-fashioned experience, and I was really blown away by, first of all, the depth of the emotion to the actual storytelling, the way that it spanned some like two decades of story time where you watch the character grow up and marry and have kids um, and have terrible, terrible things befall him. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it, but at the end of the first act, um, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And then it goes 10 years later or something like that. And you're like, what? <laughs> yep. It was insane. But um, the other thing that kind of struck me was I really like the battle system in that game and it hasn't changed all that much over the years. They've brought in elements. They've taken out elements. Uh, Dragon Quest V had a really phenomenal monster collecting mechanic that I kind of wish were in every monster or every Dragon Quest game because they did such a great job with it. And the, as you already said, the monsters are super iconic and, and they had such great personality. I love, uh, I love the localization that was done with them. Um, but the battle system itself kind of reminds me of Dragon, a more complicated and interesting version of Dragon Quest, or sorry, Final Fantasy IV, in the way that it's heavily based on buffs and it's really fast paced, and the battles can be really intense. And when I say more complicated, I mean the fact that you can actually like swap party members in and out. It's not set until like pretty much the end of the game, like Final Fantasy IV is. So, I think that like people will complain about, well, there are no skill trees and there are no like passive, there aren't enough like passive elements and where's the demon fusion or whatever. But I think that Dragon Quest works extremely well for what it is and is just a great example of how design, combat design that seems simplistic to the eye can actually end up being quite deep and quite engaging. So. Yeah, and there is some element of of specialization in Dragon Quest VIII and Dragon Quest IX. Um, you know, it, it doesn't always let you have... Actually, ever since Dragon Quest III, 
You don't always have a choice over what skills your character gains as they level up, but you can choose to multi-class or, uh, you know, there, there are always a few little options like that. So it's not like you're... It, it's come a long way since the original Dragon Quest where you had one character who always gained the same powers at the same level and your only way to affect his, uh, his stats and skill levels was by the name you gave him because each name like your stats were based on the letters in your name so there was like an optimal name and a worst possible name but you know it's come a long way since that and dragon quest 9 especially really just let you sort of swap freely between jobs and you'd have to level each job up from one but um it was pretty easy to do that and pretty addictive there were a lot of uh a lot of opportunities for just you know kind of playing and goofing around and grinding up levels and it never felt like a burden so um yeah so even though it's it's always kind of simple and definitely it's it's no zodiac job system or whatever but uh that's okay it, it works it's really well balanced usually um this is probably an entirely different episode but it's i mean it's pretty much cliche at this point that the series has never seemed to find a lot of traction here in the U.S., and, you know, I feel like Dragon Quest Eleven probably has the best shot of any Dragon Quest since m maybe the original Dragon Warrior of kind of making a splash here, or Dragon Quest Eight, I suppose, just because it'll be on a... the most... it'll be on the most popular console at the, the kind of the height of its popularity, as opposed to Dragon Quest Eight, which came out in what? 2005? Was it 04 or 05? Uh, Dragon Quest 8, I want to say it was 2004. Yeah, okay. So it was kind of toward the tail end of the PS4. Well, not, not that, not the actual console's lifespan, but toward the end of, toward the tail end of that generation. Yeah. No. And, um, also, Dragon Quest, I don't know, 2004 was kind of like the middle of the PS4, PS2. Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking that, okay. But I, I think, I think Dragon Quest Eleven has an advantage now, because like you mentioned in your, your thoughts on the game, the, the classic JRPG has become a really scarce creature, especially on console systems. Like, you just don't see classic Japanese RPGs on HD consoles, if, the, if you do, it's something like Disgaea, where it's more like a strategy game and doesn't really feel like it's advanced since the PS2, or else it's Final Fantasy XV, which has advanced way far beyond PS2 and now is pretty much unrecognizable as Final Fantasy. Dragon Quest is still Dragon Quest. It's a classic console RPG from Japan, and it's sticking to it. And uh, I think that really will work in its benefit if it if it comes to the U.S. Like, you... It's it's a rarity, and I think people are hungry for that. Yeah, and the games that have been kind of in that mold have, uh, in the most recent years, have been kind of disappointing. Um, Nino Kuni being one that I kind of cited, and Xenoblade Chronicles was a, a well received RPG, but it was on the Wii, so it was in SD, and it was also kind of more MMORPG ish. Um, it wasn't the kind of the nostalgic turn-based uh, affair that people seem to be really craving. I I always kind of bristle at the people who claim that JRPGs are strictly a nostalgia genre, and I've seen that kind of commentary on other sites because I think it's oversimplifying a still very rich subgenre. But in it doesn't get much more classical than Dragon Quest, and if the if the response afforded even to Bravely Default, which was a 3DS game, admittedly, but was very much in that classical mold, if the response to that is any indication, then yeah, you're probably right. Um, I think Dragon Quest XI will get a lot of hype based on that alone, because it, it looks like it's going to be gorgeous. I think part of the problem that Dragon Quest has always had is well, I don't think it's always been marketed super well. And people just don't seem to respond to the art. Maybe because it's got that kind of Dragon Ball look, I'm not sure. Or there's just... 
there, there's Dragon a point but without the steroids that people yeah, come and, to expect from Dragon Ball Z. And there's kind of a quaint feel to it almost. Um, not simple, but a it's not going out of its way to be cool or edgy or anything. It's mm-hmm. it's almost like a fairy tale in its own way. So it doesn't jive with say Final Fantasy, which is cool. If you if you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, um, but you know, if 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 trends over the past few years have proven anything, it is that the game gaming audience has expanded and diversified, and that there is room for a really wide variety of playstyles in games. Um, you know, something like Dark Souls would not have been a big hit ten years ago. It would have been a game that people were like. Ugh, what is this clunky, hateful crap? But, you know, because it is different than the sort of safe, homogenized AAA productions you see coming from most, you know, for most consoles, people stopped and paid attention and took notice and said, oh, you know what? This is pretty interesting. So it's not as big as, a, you know, as the Batman series or Call of Duty or Halo, but it does really well. And certainly better than anything from software developed a decade ago ever did. Um, <laughs> and I, I think, you know, I think that there is potential, who knows if I'm right, but I think there is potential for that same sort of effect to happen with Dragon Quest in the West. Again, like you mentioned, the marketing has never been that great. Nintendo did a pretty good job of it. They, um, with Dragon Quest Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at least in San Francisco, where I was living at the time it came out, those ads were everywhere. And yeah. uh, I was really sad that I couldn't get a hold of one of those posters. You know, they had like uh, four by six posters with character art on it. Yeah, they were really nice posters, weren't they? Yeah, I, I tried to I tried to get one through a couple of different means, but never worked out, alas. But um, I don't know. They were, they were very simple. Maybe that's the problem, but... Um, the game did really well. Uh, it sold a million copies between the U.S. and Europe, which is better than most Dragon Quest games have done. And certainly for a game of that period of time, for the DS where it was on the wane, the decline in the U.S. and the West, um, I think it did pretty respectably well. So I think I think there's potential there. And, you know, the PS4 game looks really good. So... All the people who like their HD graphics and their pretty polygons would be very happy to play Dragon Quest Four, I'm sure, or Dragon Quest Eleven, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's going to, like I said, just the fact that it's going to be on the PlayStation Four, which is popular, um, and it's going to have the look of a big game. It's going to have kind of the 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 size and the scope uh, ought to get more people's attention. I feel like, and I. And I feel like the really, if it turns out to be good, which hopefully it will turn out to be good, I expect it will because the series has a pretty good track record, then it'll get really positive word of mouth and that might encourage people to kind of give it a go. And I suppose that this is the part of the episode where we talk a little bit about whether it is in fact actually going to come out in the West. I mean, it's just speculation, but I will be pretty shocked if Dragon Quest Eleven doesn't at least come out on the PS4 in the West because it seems like the kind of thing that Sony would push to get out here because, I mean, it's exclusive. (laughs) And it's for a home console, and it, just by being for a console, it has a decent chance of hitting a wide audience here outside of the traditional Japanese RPG fan base. So it... You already mentioned that it feels like they're putting it on the PS4 for the purposes of having a global release, and that's why I feel like there's a good uh, a good chance of that we're going to see it. I'm hoping so. I would like mm. to play it in English, but I will play it in Japanese no matter what. Yeah, no, just the fact that it's coming out on the PS4 is also great because it means I can import it if it doesn't come out here for some reason. Yep. Do you think the 3DS version will come out as well? I think it's very unlikely, but I could be surprised. Hmm, but we could talk about a 3DS game that is coming out from Square Enix. Oh, nice segue. Yes. And what game would that be, Jeremy? That's Final Fantasy Explorers. 
a game that you seem to really like based on the previews that I was reading. You seemed quite taken with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't play as much of it as I would have liked. I've heard it kind of gets a little repetitive toward the end, um, but, you know, what RPG doesn't. But I, I like the premise of it, which is kind of, in a way, Final Fantasy's evolution on both Monster Hunter and Dragon Quest IX. You know, a multiplayer, cooperative, action RPG sort of portable game where you go out and you're fighting big monsters. You have lots of little dinky quests that you have to take on uh, to gain materials, get yourself better armor, so on and so forth. It has the the classing system, you know, the job system of classic Final Fantasy. So I think there's like 20 jobs in the game. So uh, it's, you know, kind of... Uh, Kind of predictable, I guess, in in some ways, but entertaining. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. By the time that you, or by the time that you, the audience, hears this episode, I uh, an article that I wrote about it should be up on US Gamer, and in it, I kind of commented on how it's kind of coming out at the perfect time for Square Enix because. I wouldn't necessarily say that Monster Hunter 4 was an overwhelming hit, but it did sell more than a million copies between Europe and North America as of April. And I just see way more people playing Monster Hunter 4 than I have ever in the past. And I I think the reasons for that are pretty obvious. The fact that it's on, for example, the Nintendo 3DS instead of the PlayStation Portable, which means that people can actually access it and play it with their friends makes a big difference. So now that people kind of have a taste for the monster hunting genre outside of the really hardcore community that has kind of coalesced around that series, people may be more kind of amenable to giving a trying out something else. And, of course, Final Fantasy Explorers does have that Final Fantasy branding, so it'll have all the familiar characters and the jobs, as you already mentioned, and it's apparently faster-paced, I'm guessing, it sounds like, than Monster Hunter oh, 4. Yeah, by far. Yeah. So, in that regard, I it seems like it would probably demo better and encourage more people to pick it up. And the other thing that I've been hearing is, I guess it has more structure that... People compare it to kind of a hybrid of Monster Hunter and Crystal Chronicles. I could see that. Yeah, it's not yeah. like multiplayer co-op is is entirely new territory for, for Final Fantasy. It's just Crystal Chronicles was its own little thing. And just the fact that it has more structure means that it might lure in people who might otherwise be kind of averse to the kind of open-ended nature of Monster Hunter. So it'll be... I feel like when it comes out next January, it will be kind of in the best possible place to succeed. And that will have a lot to do with, well, and I mean, its success ultimately will probably have a lot to do with how good it actually is. I went and kind of looked to see what Japanese gamers were were saying about it. And... I was surprised to see that it gotten kind of mixed reviews over in Japan. Um, take it with a grain of salt, but on Amazon Japan, they were complaining about the fact that they said that they had reached the ending in like nine hours or so, which isn't extremely long for an RPG of that kind of game. And they were complaining about things like traveling because you have AP that drains when you're running, so you have to slow down, which slows down the pace a little bit. So those are things to keep an eye on, but obviously we'll be reserving judgment for when it comes out. But if it does turn out to be really good, then it should get positive word of mouth and do pretty well for itself. Yeah, and it is nice to see Square Enix remembering, oh yes, the 3DS exists. We should make some of our games for it available in the West. Because they've been kind of poor about that lately. I don't know if I'm going to be picking up Final Fantasy Explorers. Well, I mean, I'll probably be reviewing it. I see, so you're part of the problem. I know, but I don't know. I just, I'm not a big fan of that kind of game. And, you know, the fact that it's an action game, well, it's an action RPG, and it doesn't have leveling. <laughs> um, like, are kind of like, oh, uh, okay, yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't play well with other, Jer- others, Jeremy. Uh, I'm the kind of kid who sits in her room and plays by, 
plays games by herself. So, mm. yeah. So I don't have any friends. That must be difficult. Yeah, I know. So that makes it kind of hard to play Final Fantasy Explorers with other people. I guess you could play with people you hate. Huh. That would be interesting. Anyway, so it sounds like you're pretty excited for it, though. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if excited is the right word, but Hmm. um, I liked what I played in Japanese and would like to play more in English. Well, you already mentioned that it's nice that Square Enix is remembering that the 3DS exists over here. And, yeah, a game getting localized is always a positive development here in the West. I suppose the final game to quickly, really hi- quickly highlight, Odin Sphere. Interested? Not interested? Um, I guess kind of interested. I played it and reviewed it on PS2, which was a long time ago. Um, I don't know that the game really has anything more to offer me at this point. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's coming, and wow, they're actually releasing a Vita game? That's crazy. Who would do that these days? <laughs> I know it's so coming it's, on the West. Is that isn't that nuts? It's nice that someone remembered that uh, the Vita exists. I know it's a system that's definitely deserving of more love. For last, is not getting it. Um, it's also coming I, to PS4, right? Yes, it is. Okay. I no PS3, oh, PS3, PS3, PS4, and Vita. Oh, super crossplay. Gosh, I. This is the part where I need to look it up, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that you wrote the story on it. I know. I wrote that like last week. PS4, PS3, and PS Vita. Okay. So, yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, PS4 for me, please. But I did not play Odin Sphere when it first came out. I did, however, play uh, Dragon's Crown. And my understanding of Dragon's Crown... Or Dragon's Crown just seems like a more advanced game than Odin Sphere in a lot of ways. Those... It still kind of has that knock against it for being repetitive. Um, and yeah, it's I mean, Odin, Odin Sphere um, kind of took the the concept of the ring cycle, and mm-hmm. uh, which you know is fitting. You know, Wagner's opera about Valkyries and so forth, um, and turned it into a literal thing. Like everything in the game is sort of ring based. The levels are all basically an endless loop. And you can control things through ring-based menus. So I suppose it makes sense that the game is kind of repetitive because that's sort of the nature of cycles and rings. So I guess you could say it's thematically appropriate. But yeah, it does get kind of grindy. It's it's really gorgeous, though. Like I'm, I, I, It's one of those games that I would say everyone should play just to enjoy how it looks because it's really, really beautiful. They're adding a ton of content to the new Odin Sphere. They're adding branching paths for the levels and new I guess new maps and obviously they're upgrading the graphics and so it sounds like they're applying some of what they learned from Dragon's Crown which Dragon's Crown also has branching levels to kind of cut down a bit on the repetitiveness and if you missed out on Odin Sphere the first time I mean certainly this is the definitive version and you should probably pick it up because as you said it's going to be gorgeous. Um, say what you want about George Kamatani's uh, design, but his art is usually just gorgeous in terms of the way it animates and everything. So Yeah, Odin Sphere didn't really have the... Uh, I don't remember anything that was you know along the lines of the Sorceress or the Amazon from no, Dragon's no. Crown. Uh, everyone was much better armored and much more modestly <laughs> arrayed than... Uh, than uh, the characters in Dragon's can Crown. I, there were also weren't secret? any like m- nuns to molest. Yes, tell me your secret. I I always like the sorceress in Dragon's Crown. I think she's funny. But in terms of visuals or as a character? Just in terms of character design. It's so over the top that I can't hate it too much. That entire game is so ridiculous. I love it. Um it it's, a, it's, it's a it's fun. A, it's a it's fetish fun. for everyone. Everyone It's kind their... of it's weirdly game. underrated, to be honest. I always, I felt like it kind of got hammered when it came out, and then everybody put it aside and forgot about it. But it's a really, it's a really, really solid RPG brawler. So if that that more than anything has been what's kind of got me interested in Odin Sphere. So so that will be coming out next year as well. So we're already getting started 
with our JRPG release schedule for next year. And who knows, maybe even Final Fantasy XV will come out next year. Wouldn't that be nice and surprising? Yeah, I don't know. I think 2016 is kind of the limit. I think based on kind of the changes they've made at Square Enix. Like a 10th anniversary release for the game? (laughs) Oh my god, that's dark. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's the end of our episode. Jeremy, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at yes, usgamer.net uh, and on Twitter as GameSpite. And you can also check out my little side project where I'm foolishly chronicling the entire history of the Game Boy platform at GameBoyWorld.com. I've bought the first book. It's so good. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you yes. bought it and I'm glad you liked it. I appreciate it. Uh, it's, um, it's really my my sort of passion project. Like, I want this to be a definitive work. So I'm glad people are enjoying it so much. How are you doing the videos again? Are you actually... How are you capturing the footage from that, just out of curiosity? Um, so I have an RGB modded Super NES with a Super Game Boy 2. And I plug a cartridge into the Super Game Boy 2. So that's, like, the most accurate way to get the video quality that is not actually somehow filming the Game Boy screen, which would be impossible and terrible. Um, and so then I just, you know, put that through an upscaler and record it and it's, you know, the real software on real hardware. So you're getting the actual Game Boy experience, uh, minus the, the screen blur, but you know, if you really want that, buy the games and play them on an old Game Boy. Uh, the vacuum tube Game Boy, how I miss you. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. And if you have comments on this episode or you want to contribute to our next mailbag, send me an email at cat.bailey@usgamer.net. If you check out US Gamer right now, you may notice that we're doing the best 15 games since 2000. We're, as of this episode, um, Number eight will be going up today, and number seven will be going up on Friday. Number eight, I believe, is Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. But there's still a couple RPGs to come, so we will be discussing them here on Acts of the Blood God sooner rather than later. But yeah, go check that out. In the meantime, Jeremy, thanks for dropping by. Mm-hmm. And I've been Kat Bailey. And until next time, happy adventuring. Bye.